I like swords, and I want to do something with swords. What can I do with swords? Well, Iaido was the next thing that came out. And for uh, you listeners who don't know what it is, Iaido is a form of um, meditative swordsmanship. I always I always think of it as I think of it as yoga or tai chi with a weapon. And it it focuses on it's all about forms and routines, and it's very slow, very pretty to look at, uh, but a little boring. Hello and welcome back to the Johnny Tiger Experience. This is episode twelve. Today's quote: Doesn't matter the color of the cat, as long as it can catch mice, it's a good cat. I am Johnny Tiger, and this. Yes, my universe.
Hey, Bloop, have you heard about this new text-based RPG online? I have. I believe I know which one you're talking about. It's called Cyber Assault, and it's available at cyberassault.org. Is that the one you're talking about, Leap? Yes, it's really, really cool. And I like it a lot because it's a game that's set in the future where nuclear apocalypse is happening. How exciting, a nuclear apocalypse. We've seen a lot of nuclear apocalypses in our time. However, this text-based RPG is the most accurate game of all time. Very cool. Yes, and it has a cool character class that you can actually choose from, including Borg, Stalker, Caller, Crazy, and Mercenary. I really like the Borg. Reminds me of my robotic mother. Very cool. Very, very cool video game. One more time, Bleep. What's the website? www.cyberassault.org. Check it out. It's free. So, do it. You do anything for free these days? Goodbye. And here we are with episode 12. A very anticipated episode by myself, if no one else. Uh, this has been delayed for a few days because of editing issues, having, uh, having to troubleshoot equipment and other obligations and stuff like that. But uh, it was actually recorded uh, uh, last week. Uh, in this episode, we are bringing you another very exclusive interview with a totally blind martial artist and uh, musician. Uh, he is my good friend, my uh, head disciple in the Night Strike program. He is the one and only infamous Clement We are now online with Clement the Chihuahua Chu. It's a good nickname. I didn't think of that. It's a good nickname, and uh, he is uh, he is blind and he's rude. <laughs> blind, like, blind and rude. It's, uh, oh, nice that's good. Model. <laughs> that, that's fair. <laughs> blind and rude. So it, it was a long, arduous journey to get to this point. I've been working on this for the last two hours, trying to get everything lined up, get Skype working, get microphone working, get stereo working. It's like, as soon as I'm ready to record an interview, everything stops working. So, you know, listeners, you guys have no idea what I have to go through to bring you this episode. The beauty of technology. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right now, I don't, I don't see what's beautiful about it. Anyway. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, Clement. Well, I'm 25. I live in Vancouver, here in Canada, and um, I am a guitarist, singer, uh, fantasy and sci-fi geek. I love to game, uh, and I like to be active. So I play goalball, do martial arts, and pretty much anything else that you can think of. I like to try new things, so there's not a lot that I wouldn't do, I would say. Um, so, you and I, we've known each other for, wow, how long now? For six years? Six Five years? years? Something like that. Yep. You know, even before then, I heard about you uh, <coughs> through uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Marjorie Ann Livingstone. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very impressive name, by the way. <laughs> that is a very impressive name. <laughs> so fancy. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, so posh. <laughs> um, you know, she's always uh t- told me about uh, uh you being very active and stuff like that. So, your background, your Taiwanese. My background is actually very interesting because I was born in Canada, but my dad is from Taiwan. Uh, my mom is from a little country called Brunei, which is on the Malaysian Peninsula, so it's uh, right beside Malaysia. Um, so it's really close by, and she's from the Chinese population there because they have a big um, Chinese community down in Southeast Asia. Incidentally, that country uh, or that whole area of Asia is the origin of one of my favorite martial arts that I would love to try one of these days. So. Ah. So, when you're at home, what do you guys speak? So typically, mostly Mandarin, uh, because that's the one my both my parents speak. But if I'm with my dad, it can vary between Mandarin and Taiwanese. And with my mom, it can be either Mandarin or her own Chinese dialect, which is called Hakka. So it depends on who I'm with. Um, and then with my siblings, English. That's interesting. So, why is it that with your sibling it's uh, referred to English? Well, I just think it's because we all grew up here, and because uh, my sister and my brother are probably by far more comfortable in English than they are in Mandarin. Uh, whereas I spent a lot of time with my relatives growing up, so Mandarin and English are kind of both on the same par for me. It must, must be wonderful too. Like, because I'm assuming your parents, their English is not on par with you, you guys. I don't know if you guys do that, but <laughs> when I was at home, we used to have like secret little English code, code words, and little secrets that if we want to. No, our, our our parents, our parents' English is too good for that. That doesn't work with us. Uh, uh shame, shame. Uh, they used they used to have Cantonese code words until I learned to speak it. Then they didn't have any secrets anymore. So. That <laughs> So, so you are quite uh, multilingual. That, that, I, yeah. yeah. That, how many languages do you speak? Uh, if you count Chinese dialects, um, I speak a total of nine. Um, so I speak English, Mandarin, Taiwanese, Cantonese, and Hakka. And then I also speak French, Japanese, Spanish, and Korean. With varying degrees of fluency. And uh, you think I can barely speak English? Oh, you... You speak Krav Maga. That's all you need to speak. Yeah, I just let my fists do the speaking. That's great. <laughs> so, is that like just something you're naturally good at, or did you have to work hard to do to get to this? Oh, I, you know what? A lot of people say I'm naturally talented at languages, and I don't. You know, I don't know. Maybe, but I felt like I worked pretty hard. Uh, you know, it didn't. I didn't just decide one day, hey, I want to learn Korean, and then you know, the next day I was speaking fluently. It's not. I'm not like that. But um, I would say it's more just because I'm interested in doing it. And yeah, I mean, maybe part of it does have to do with, you know, a natural ability with it. Um, I attribute it to the fact that because my parents are from different countries, and especially my mom's side of the family, they're so culturally diverse that I grew up learning different dialects and languages. So it's always been kind of natural for me. Um, because in Brunei and in Malaysia, uh, the Chinese people there, you know, sometimes they speak two, three dialects easily um and even if they don't uh the mandarin that we speak is very broken i call it street mandarin um 
It's not. It's you, not you, pretty. I, I'm sure it's not the kind of street Mandarin I'm thinking about. <laughs> not, not the kind of street. I know. I know what kind of you're thinking about. It's not that. <laughs> but it's not. It's not mainland Chinese Mandarin. It's not pretty. There's words from four or five different languages all mixed into it, because of our geographical location, our cultural location. So, um, yeah, I think I just got used to learning languages and whatnot. I was a kid because, you know, both sides of my family were so radically different. You also have a、uh, like, uh, personal interest in learning a lot of languages, right? Like it's it, it sort of something not, that you you really like to do. Or? Not really. Like I don't go out of my way to learn new languages, but you know, if if it comes up and if I find that I need to use it, then yeah, I will learn it.、Um, like Japanese, it for me it was it was kind of an on and off hobby, and then. When I started hanging out with international students, I realized, hey, I could actually use Japanese quite often. So I picked it up more,、um, and and then because of my workplace, I have found even more reason to learn it. So,、um, well, especially living in Vancouver nowadays, it's totally an advantage to be able to understand and translate multiple languages. Multiple languages, yeah, absolutely. But like personal interest, yeah, like for example,、uh, Malay. That's a that's a language I have a bit of an interest in because that's where my mom you know my mom's from Brunei and that's the official language of Brunei.、Um, my family doesn't speak it, but it's still part of my heritage that I would like to learn about. But I haven't done it because there's really no reason for me to use it here. So even though I have personal interest, like there's no, if it's not practical for me, then I might learn you know bits and pieces just out of interest, but I won't learn it.、Uh, Fully. Well, it kind of makes me、uh, feel a bit ashamed of myself because I grew up in Taiwan until nine years old, and even now my Taiwanese is so broken; it's just laughable. I can. That's okay. I can understand most of it, but uh, uh, every everybody from everybody from your generation and mine have started to be like that. I think, and my generation is even worse. Well, yeah,、so. in my generation, we have a kind of sort of a defense behavior. Back then, it was strongly, strongly discouraged. Yeah, exactly. That in school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that I don't think that's I don't think it's something to be ashamed about. I think that's just a fact of the way it was culturally and the climate、yeah. was like that. So, so if you go back to Taiwan now, the, and you now people try to speak Taiwanese to you, and you answer in Mandarin, they think you're being snobbish. <laughs> well, see, and, and that's that's interesting because like I've noticed a lot of the Taiwanese kids of my generation, they have that problem is they don't learn Taiwanese,、um, so they know phrases unless they're from the south.、Yeah. Um, what I what I found was that when I went to Taiwan last year,、uh, when we went to the south, when we the further south we went, the more Taiwanese people spoke Taiwanese,、um, even young people. So it was it was interesting to see the difference, for sure. My problem is usually I、uh, tend to get my Cantonese and my Taiwanese all jumbled up together. I used to, but then I, I I've been taught to separate it so much since I was a kid. I think it's become really natural to be able to do that.、Yeah. So I think that's just a matter of practice. It, it, it and... can be pretty embarrassing to answer the phone. Why, Lady Xiangmilang? Ah, huh. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, you know, and、uh, I mean, especially when you are kind of.、Uh, No, not very good at both, and sometimes、yep. you just get it get all jumbled up in your head. Yeah, yeah. Does does Korean and Japanese have that similar problem? Because to non-speakers like myself, they sound so similar that. Well, 
vocabulary is similar, but you know, I would say for anybody who knows Asian languages, like you can generally tell which language is what. Um, but they have similar words, and their grammar is pretty much identical. But they're not mutually intelligible, so it's not as easy to mix it up, unless you speak both. Uh, uh, you don't. You don't. Re- you won't tend to mix it as much as you would with, say, yeah, uh, Cantonese and Taiwanese. Yeah, because Cantonese and Taiwanese technically it's old dialect, and yeah, you know, if you really want to, you could understand each other if you, even if you don't speak it. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> No, no easier or harder than you know trying to understand someone from Shanghai. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, I, I, have they, heard, they speak... I have heard people from Shanghai speak their own dialect sometimes. I couldn't make heads or tails. Oh, I know, me too. But I think the thing is, if you speak, if you hear it slowly, uh, if they speak it one word at a time, you'll probably understand, you know, twenty, thirty percent of it. Mm-hmm. So, H- have you ever been to China? Nope. And uh, I'll go on record and say it's not really on my priority list. Why? Um, I don't fancy the idea of going to a country where people think I'm not capable because that lessens your ability to travel and enjoy the sights. Uh, because everywhere you go, you're probably likely to be challenged or questioned, um, unless you're with someone sighted, you know. That is true, but I think that extends to a lot of Asian countries. Well, of course. Yeah. But with with the thing with China versus other countries, I believe, and actually, I I felt the same way when I went to Taiwan. Um, I don't know if I would actually want to go there on my own. Um, I can go to Taiwan because I have family there. Um, I can go to Japan and Korea because I have students there, like former students who have all gone home there. But mainland China. Um, as much as I would want to go on my own, I don't think it would be a good experience. So I would probably not, just based on that. No, I think that brings out a very interesting topic, and this is why I like unscripted uh, chat because sometimes things like that come up. I have been asked before, and I think it's worthwhile considering. Yeah. Do you think that being blind and when you travel alone, in many many ways, that places you in a kind of vulnerability, and also takes away. You, it looks like you're traveling alone, that you're independent, but in many ways, it actually takes away your independence because you're heavily relying on people's help. Well, I think it depends on where you go. Um, I think if you went to Europe, or if I was a Canadian and going to the States, I don't think it would be that big of a difference. I think I could travel on my own and manage well enough. Um, the problem really becomes when you go to a country where blindness is viewed completely differently um, than here. Um, if you go to a country where, like for example, Taiwan or Japan, where they don't hate us, but they don't exactly know how to deal with us properly. No, but, um, uh, when I went to Taiwan, I actually had an interesting chat with a taxi driver. Yeah. Um, I took a cab to go meet some friends by myself, and the taxi driver said, "You're not from Taiwan, are you?" I said, "What? What gave it away?" And he said, "Because of 20, 30 years of me driving a cab, I've never seen a blind person on his own." 
Yeah, and and that's very true. And I think I I I can totally see why he'd be surprised by that because, you know, you know that too. And th- where we come from, um, blind people are not encouraged to be independent. Um, to be fair, and, it would be extremely extremely dangerous to be independent for a blind person in Taiwan and China. Just traffic alone can be. Yeah, traffic-wise, <laughs> of course, but there. That's not to say that it can't be done. Um, you know, sure, it's more risky than here, but you know, there's blind people in the U.S. from certain states, you know, who live independent lives, and I'm pretty sure in those states it could be pretty crazy as well, right? From a big state like you know California or New York or Massachusetts, like Boston, for example, right? I I couldn't imagine going through Boston traffic, but I know people who do it independently all the time. So you want to taste of Boston traffic? Just live in Richmond for a while. Yeah, but well, I mean, but but there you go. That's it, right? Like even in a place like Richmond, which is pretty nuts sometimes, you know, you can still. Uh, we're talking Richmond in Where British I Columbia am. here, folks, yeah. in Where Canada, uh, not Richmond, Virginia, because that exists too. That, that that may be pretty bad over there too. Um, but you know the 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 bottom line is that I think it's not so much the fact that it would be a hundred percent dangerous. I think it's just that most Taiwanese Chinese people. Um, I shouldn't have said it like that. Taiwanese or Chinese people um, aren't willing to take that chance to teach the blind people to do it. Um, because it, it is a very big kind of a, a controversial point because it is because when you think about it, if you are an educator, where how far are you willing to bet your reputation on that? Well, and and that's it. It's, it's responsibility, right? Yeah, is yeah. most. But n- not even just educators, like even parents. Parents don't teach them that because they don't want the responsibility of no, their they, blind they, kid they getting in a car accident. To, they don't want to tell their kid to be dependent and the kids get run over by a truck. Well, exactly. And that's, I, I think that's, you know, it's like you said, it's it's reput- because reputation in our culture matters so much. You yeah, know, because it's, right it's, away, if it happened, like, like you know, maybe most likely it won't happen. But if it happened, the media is not going to say, Okay, it's too bad. You no, know, this this tragedy happened. The media is going to say this bad parents, yeah, or this bad force, teacher, force their kids to go out on their own despite yep. them being blind. Yep, and 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 for that, it doesn't matter whether you're a parent or a teacher. You'll get that either way. Mm-hmm. So well, if you're a teacher, think, you're pretty much not going to get a job for the rest of your well, life. If, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But I think that's mostly why. Um, I think that's mostly why that taxi driver was so shocked. Um, but I think that kind of leads into the fact that, yeah, I don't know if, yeah, you're right. Because in, in Canada, we're so used to being able to go places by ourselves. Yeah, um, even for me, because, you know, I live on my own for all these years and pretty much go wherever I want. Uh, when I travel to Taiwan, I get that sense of, well, let's be blunt about it. I just feel useless. Without someone guiding me, there's no way for me to go anywhere. Yeah, and and you almost feel kind of claustrophobic, right? Yeah, like you're yeah. going, there, like there's a ceiling that's coming down slowly towards your head, and you don't know what to do about it. Um, I remember this because when I went there last year, um, even with my whole family, I was like, wow. I remember thinking the whole time, I said, wow, you know, if if my family wasn't with me, I totally wouldn't be going to all these places yeah. because no one would trust me to. Um, you know, if I wanted to go out of Taipei three hours and go to a hot spring, 
No one would no one would let me do that in Taiwan if I wasn't with my family. No, probably not. I mean, they, they would ask so, who's your caregiver and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I think it's one of those things and and I and I wrote a blog about this that is hopefully going to be published around sometime soon, but I I think that's one of those things that we don't really think about here. Um because, you know, I I know people who will talk about how bad things are here. They'll talk about how annoying it is to get approached all the time and, you know, w- to be grabbed by somebody, which I, I which I can agree with. Um, uh, I'm going to go on and say that right now. people ever try to grab me, so... Well, you're, you're a little different. You, I, I wish more would, especially as a female persuasion, but... Anyway. Well, you... You're, you're, you're special. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> so... I think the thing is that, like, and I, I agree, it is annoying and it is frustrating, and there's so many issues that, um, you know, that that we have here. But I always tell people, I said, you can't, you guys should all go to Asia and experience what it's like, because I guarantee you, when you come back, you'll never complain about the same things again. Um, and, and yet, uh, when I was in Taiwan uh, last time, I did a presentation at a school. And talk about my experience getting educated over there uh, for the early part of my life and I remember talking about this and it's actually quite true in some ways the lack of written in stone support the lack of uh, system is refreshing in another sense because when I was growing up there like people in school didn't know how to deal with a blind kid so rather than you know how here in Canada and US, quite often if there's no system, they tell you no. But in Taiwan, since there's no system to begin with, they don't say no. They just try all kind of wacky solutions and see whatever works in the end. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting because I think that really depends on the people. Because I, and I, I do know some Taiwanese people and some Asian people who will say no. Because it's better to be safe than sorry. Um... In, in my experience, but then I, I grew up here, so I can't really say that. But in my experience with Taiwanese family and Taiwanese family friends is that I find Canadians are more likely to say, well, I don't really know how this is going to work, but, you know, we can try it and see what happens. Um, I find more Canadians are open to doing that than I, Taiwanese. I think when it comes to family, it's a little bit different. The family always like to say no. <laughs> no, but not just no. I'm not, but I'm not not just family. I'm saying any old Taiwanese people that I know. Doesn't matter what my relationship is to them. Um, you can kind of see that attitude of well, I don't really want to because it's better to be safe and not take the chances. It also take a lot less time. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe it's you know different experiences, and again, I think it depends on well, who you're talking to. Well, I mean, I, well. there's an explanation for that because when I was going to school there, obviously, uh, uh, you have to pay to go to school in Taiwan. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case now, but when I was there, you have to pay every year. You have to pay the tuition. So yeah, uh, in this case, almost like well, I'm the paying customer. So but you're you're talking about the school system, right? Yeah. Like you're not talking about outside of school. In terms no, of I most, I wasn't old enough to really know anything outside yeah. of school. Because <laughs> I think out, I think outside of school is very different, and I think, I think people might be willing to try those wacky solutions because you're at a school for the blind. I think that also probably had a lot to do with it. I, I was never at the school for the blind there. Okay. 
uh, was uh, originally my parents wanted to, uh, to get me to the school for the flying, but they changed their mind on that. I was very thankful for that one. Yeah, well, I, I'm thankful too yeah. for myself, but you know, I think, you know, I don't know, maybe I, I, I think, think it depends. I think quite often, you know, as, and this is quite true when you deal deal with uh, like a uh, Chinese culture, a Taiwanese culture. It's all depends on if it's worth their while. Yeah, exactly. What do what do they get out of it? Yeah. Is it gonna be, is it beneficial for them to help you and to figure out a solution, or is it just easier not to do it? Because I remember when I was little, uh, I've never gotten turned down, uh, turned away from any martial arts studio. Back then, mm-hmm. uh, even in Taiwan, like when almost no blind person would. Uh, practice martial art or get active but you know thinking back it's because my parents were willing to pay a lot of money so yeah they could afford to pay a lot right yeah um they could afford to say here you know help try and help and you know we'll pay you a little extra yeah right you know that was the thing they could yeah, do like I'll, I'll pay you extra if you work with my kids after yeah. after class yeah, whereas you know, whereas here it doesn't work like that. You know, well, I mean, not just here, but it doesn't work like that with most people. Um, you know, your average, your average guy off the street can't say, you know, here, here's a bit more, and, and the culture here just doesn't work like that, right? Well, I mean, here people just generally try to find ways not to pay for martial art classes, <laughs> oh, or at least not pay ridiculous prices. But that's a whole different. That's a different subject. Well, that actually, I think that that is a very good topic too, because you know this podcast is ultimately uh, largely to do with martial art. So, pricing for martial art today has really gone through the roof. And just the other day, I was talking to our trainer Alan, and I said it's quite interesting how the dynamic really changed because. You go back 40, 50 years, or 100 years even, you have instructors, sensei, uh, back then, they didn't really worry about losing students. Students worried about losing sensei. Uh, when you go to a sensei, you you're, you want to prove yourself, you want to, uh, no matter if he beat you, or if he Whatever, what kind of training he puts you through, you want to please him because you don't want to get kicked out of the school. But nowadays, uh, instructors are watering down systems left and right because, well, it costs a lot of money to keep the school well, running. <laughs> see, see again, I think and this is this is an age-old topic that we've talked about before, and you know Johnny and I have some different opinions on this one, but I think this is. A far more prevalent issue in the West because I think a lot of what we do in, in Canada and the States especially I think we tend to lose the focus of what martial arts are about um, in, in the sense that people realize that people in Asia you know in Japan especially I, I'm talking about Japan because I know the most about Japanese martial arts ironically um, I'm not Japanese but because I train in a Japanese martial art, um, and I've you know I've researched a lot of different ones, and I know people who do other Japanese martial arts, I can probably speak to it the most. Is that Japanese teachers are like that? Like they don't care if they have a big dojo or a small one. Um, you know, their ideal goal is to just teach the art, 
and as long as you're enjoying it, and as long as you're getting the good philosophies, and the you know, as long as you're developing well, most teachers are happy with that. But how does that work? Like、right? you know, so someone's got to pay for the rent of, of the dojo. Pay for they the do, but what they do is they they pay, they pay. You know,、uh, no, sorry, not they'll pay. They'll charge a membership fee, of course, but it won't be a super high. You know, ridiculous membership fee. It'll be something like you know, some a certain amount per month,、um, or a certain amount per year, or a certain amount for every three months. You know.、Um, but but like you no, know, if they don't care, if they lose, have a small dojo or large class and stuff like that, how do they keep? Because I think that's uh, uh, one one thing that. Perplexing to people here in North America, because people here look at it. Well, it's a career, it's a business. So how do you make your business thrive if you don't care? I don't think it's that they don't care necessarily. I think it's more the fact that it's not some. It's not money and dojo operation isn't their priority. Their priority is for the martial art. So in a sense, they are more like artists that. Uh, the, the art is more important than what actually sells. Yeah, definitely. I I would say that because the the nice thing about smaller smaller prices is that they're less scary.、Um, you know, if you even if you see it on paper, paying seventy dollars a month isn't so bad compared to paying one hundred and fifty dollars for a month. But right, of course there. And and we see this on slogans and mottos all the time. Is your safety not worth that two hundred dollar a month? That would, I guess, that would depend.、Um, and of of course, the ironic part is, until you actually get attacked, you don't know if that two hundred dollar a month actually doing anything for you. Well, I, I was just gonna say that is, you know, people can say that all they want, but you know, they can if they charge you two hundred bucks a month, but they don't teach you well, you know, then you won't know. And you know, and we know that as martial arts, the the best the best. Solution is not having to use it, right? Definitely.、Um, ideally, in the case of、right? self-defense, definitely yeah. yes. Well, mar- martial arts in general, right? Because that's why so many people practice them.、Um, well, I think martial you know? martial art,、uh, you know, it, it it depends. It depends on what we're talking about. Because if you get into、uh, the more combat sport oriented ones, then you you do have to use them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But ag- again, it's. You know, is is that two hundred dollars gonna be worth what you learn? Well, I don't know. Do you think? Do,、uh, do you think、uh, thinking back, Boss Rutten would have balked at、uh, paying two hundred dollar to get making millions in the end? He probably wouldn't have because most because he got into he got into the athletic side, the sports side,、mm-hmm. um, and so it ended up it for him it did end up being a career.、Um, it ended up being what he made his living off of. But what I'm saying is, most martial arts teachers, tra- like traditional Asian, Japanese martial arts teachers, that's not what their career is. They don't. They don't. They wouldn't consider that a career. So that that's interesting. If they don't consider themselves,、uh, like because I definitely consider martial art as my career, at least part of my career.、Um, how does that work? Because if they don't consider that their career, then They have to what drive taxis in the well, daytime. Well, when, when I say when I say career, I don't necessarily mean your day job 
career. Um, it's like how an artist who paints, you know, he may paint every day and he may sell things and whatnot, but it's not the only job that he has. He also has other jobs or, uh, you know, at least one other one to sustain him. Kind, and kind of like those uh, kung fu movies where they have like the old Chinese martial art masters cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, and that's it, it's a funny stereotype, but it's true, though. Um, like, um, it I was, is totally true. Like, for I was the, reading for about listeners, if you want to be a career martial art instructor, you probably will starve to death. <laughs> yeah, because if if martial arts is the only thing you build your career on, yeah, you're you know, I mean, it, it's not it's not a sustaining one. Well, the problem is there are guns nowadays. <laughs> exactly, and you know, again, most dojo, even if you even if you get paid a lot, if you charge exorbitant prices. Most of that money is going towards dojo operation and insurance. That is true. A lot of so money can go into advertisement and hiring that beautiful receptionist up front. Uh, or, or you know, oh, your 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 fancy website that you keep every month, or whatever. Um, but like, you don't, you can't make a. It's not a career in the sense that like I can go into teaching as a career. But at the same time, because don't don't you think that? You know, because for martial art instructors to get to uh, the point where they can teach you, it takes a lot of training, many, many years. And it does. Don't, it does don't, don't you think like they should make money out of it? Like, why is it so wrong if they were to make money out of it? I don't think it's wrong to make money out of it if it's incidental money. If making money is your aim for being a martial arts instructor, I think there's a problem with that. Yeah, I think if making money is your aim to be a martial arts instructor, you probably went, <laughs> you got the wrong thing figured out. Yeah, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong career path because you're not, you're not gonna make a lot of that money, if you're honest. No, no, unless you're lucky right? enough to, uh, you know, get into training professional fighters. Yeah, and again, that's that's assuming that you're doing a competitive martial art like MMA or judo or BJJ or whatever, right? Yes. But what, what I'm saying is, it's not your financial career. It's not the kind of thing you should base your financial life on. The way you could base your financial life off of a teaching job or, um, uh, you know, like any sort of managerial job, right? Um, and that's what I'm saying is like if you look at a lot of the Japanese martial arts instructors that I know like our head instructor from Fukuoka He after he graduated university He spent a lot of his time teaching Aikido, but he also had a day job Yes, I think a lot of us instructors end up having to admit to ourselves that uh, this thing is not going to get us uh, mentioned in Malibu. No, no, and because and the reason they do Aikido, Karate, Kendo isn't because they're trying to make money out of teaching it. It's because they love to do it and they love to teach it. At the same time, we love to eat too. So yeah, thus we but have that's, to find that's another the, job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's for them. That's what that day job is. Like one of my friends, he teaches kendo five, six times a week. Like all day or at night? No, at nighttime. Ah. Because that's what mo most martial, martial arts soldiers don't run all day. Not typically. Isn't that interesting? Because, uh, uh, you look at the how the people used to train in the old days, and even now for sports fighters, uh, if you look at big names, uh, MMA fighters, they yeah. train they train all day. But again, they make enough money where they can afford to do that. Mm -hmm. 
your traditional Aikido practitioner or Kendo practitioner who doesn't get paid will not train every day, the whole day, because they can't afford to. If we want to be honest about it, I doubt Bruce Lee even trained all day. Yeah, I, that's what I think as well. Like, most Aikido dojo in Japan, like, even the, even the Aikido headquarters dojo in Tokyo, they don't have classes every hour of the day. They have two, I think they have two or three in the morning and then two or three at night. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. There's still that middle gap in the day, like, in the well, majority the thing, the of your day. Is, I mean, how are you going to fill those classes if you run all day? Because even if you can do it, your students have to work. Yeah, exactly. And not everybody's going to be, you know, you might have one or two students who can come in, you know, and they might be different students every day because everybody's work schedule is different. So, but I guess I guess my bottom line is just the fact that um, going back to the whole start of this conversation is that you know when you when you pay for martial arts, I think the 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 whole idea of needing to pay for a martial arts instructor to work with your blind kid, I think there's <laughs> I think there's an issue with that personally. But well. Yes and no, because um, I think even I myself would have to admit that teaching blind people take a lot more time than sighted people. That's that's true. You know, so I, I think, it, you know, in these cases, it does make sense that you have to pay the instructor a little bit more for that extra time. Yeah, but the instructor should be willing to do that even without you offering an extra incentive. That is true. That That, that I have to agree with because... A lot of instructors today, it seems like the passion for challenge, the passion for the art is gone yeah. or not there to begin yeah. with. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's 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 what I, that's the problem I find is that if if it comes to that, that almost feels like a bribe. Well, it is compensation. We call it compensation. Well, okay. That's what that's what gangsters call it. Real life people call it a bribe, but um, you know, like that. But that's just. You know that's that's what I think, and there, there's there's probably people who will think differently, but I just find that if you're wanting to be you're wanting your kid your blind kid to be taught by a martial artist, they shouldn't have to pay. Ideally, they shouldn't have to pay two or three times more than the average kid just to get that extra attention. What what if they take uh, two or three times longer than a regular kid to learn? Depends on the teacher and the art. I think it depends on what the teacher's willing to. I think a really honestly dedicated teacher would say, okay, well, you know, let's try it, see how far we get, and then we can discuss arrangements if we need to make them. See, I've, but, I've said this before. Uh, for me, even though I call myself a career martial artist, a martial art instructor, if there's a way, if, if someone is to set up a school and say, Hey, if you want to come in and teach this, teach people, uh, you don't have to shout out any money. Um, we'll take care of everything, and but you don't get paid. I do it. I, I would totally teach. Yeah, abs- for free. absolutely. And you know, uh, Lord willing, one day if I get that, if I get to that level, I would do it as well. Because it's not if even if it takes them longer, as long as they get something out of it, I'm willing to do it. I, I think it's uh, a, a lot of time just the fact that you can transform someone, make their life better and safer. Yeah, ex- absolutely. So yep. much more rewarding than that For extra sure. $20 an hour or some For sure. nonsense like that. So, you know, like I, I was I was shocked when someone told me one time, he said, well, we found 
Um, I won't say where because we're, we're on record here, but you know, I one of my a friend of mine was telling me that um, their their son wanted to do a martial art, and they found the one school in their area that taught blind people. And I said, "Oh, that's cool. How much are they charging for classes?" And she said, "You know, oh, uh, one class is like seventy bucks or something." And I said, "Pardon? One class for seventy bucks? Seventy-five, wow. something like that. Wow. Hour and a half, wow. I think." Um, I don't remember if it was be a, a very good school. I don't remember if it was a private session or a group class, but you know it was one of those things. And I said, "Do you know how much I pay for Aikido?" You know, where they just they just took me in and they didn't they don't specifically teach blind people. And she said, "How much?" And I said, seventy bucks per month." But you know the uh, we of course in the world today there's also another issue. With that, is sometimes when you are too cheap, or if you want to offer it for free, people don't value your system. Of course not.、Mm-hmm. But, but something like that walks the middle ground. I think personally, my dojo does a very good job of walking that middle ground. It's it's seventy bucks per month. There's a sixty dollar annual membership fee,、um, but that's all it is. And how many for, classes do you get for a month? Four per week. Okay, that 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 so, is a that is a really really good price. Sixteen classes, and you get to pick. You know, you you come, you just come whenever you want.、Um, I've had weeks when I've made it all four, and it's amazing because that's eight hours of Aikido that you normally wouldn't get. When you really、uh, think about it, though,、uh, you, you know, it, it all depends on who, you know, because this whole what price is reasonable. It depends on who is paying, because.、Um, I have heard of instructors running to students that offer them seven hundred dollar a month, you know, for for just to teach them、uh, because they are prepping for a film project or movie or stuff like that.、Uh, so for those people, that kind of money to, is like pocket change. Yeah, I I think that's a little different if it's for a film project or if it's from something like that. But just I'm talking like just on a regular day-to-day basis.、Mm-hmm. The only reason you would pay them to pay you seven hundred bucks a month is to give you four classes a week that are private.、Mm-hmm. Well, know, and even then, I mean, even then, yeah, even then, I mean, even if I wanted to, I don't think I could have、uh, afford that or justify that to myself. <laughs> right.、Um, and even in Japan, like with the the living programs, you know, that's that's one of the things that I I would love to do one of these days is to do the living program. Is you know you pay a certain amount, a few hundred bucks, but then you stay there for six months or to a year. You live at the school, you do chores around the you know the place and whatever, but you also get as much access to training and to the sensei as you want. You know, and I think that's probably the best model for it, rather than saying here we're gonna tr- you know we're gonna give you quality training, but it's gonna cost you. I think those living、uh, programs are fantastic. I've heard、yep. of people. Uh, in fact, the、uh, the founder for Krav Maga, even when he came to the U.S., he did a few of those. Basically, if you would,、uh, but he did it the other way around. If you would host him,、uh, he stay at your place and he just train you nonstop for like two weeks,、yeah. three weeks. Yeah. So that's that's you know that's really cool, and I think you know. So I I, <laughs> I remember telling this person, I said, yeah, seventy five bucks just for a class. That he doesn't necessarily need to be in. That's a little much. Yeah,、um, I think seventy-five dollar a class. I would expect to. I would expect my black belt within two months. Thank you very much. Except you also 
know that getting a black belt in two months is not something that happens at an honest place. I don't care. If I'm paying $75 a class, I want my black belt. <laughs> yeah, I know. You better give it to me, even if it's a fake one. Just, I, I'm essentially buying it. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. So, what got you into martial art? Where did you get the passion for martial art? Well, it's it started when I was young because, you know, um, my dad was in the military. He was in the Taiwanese military because um, in Taiwan, for those of you guys who don't know who are listening, um, there is a conscription deal in Taiwan is that every man, when they turn 20, they have to go into the military service for two years. Um, and when I was young, my dad and my parents, uh, well, both my, my, both my parents, my dad and my mom, they're both very paranoid. Uh, especially when I was younger um, and they always used to say that I'd get bullied because I was blind so my dad he always he started teaching me just really simple things that he learned in the military um, you know it was there wasn't any structure to it he just any every anytime he thought of something he'd be like hey try this uh, you should learn this because you know you might need it and I'd be like oh okay and um, you know aside from that you know, my family, we, we loved our kung fu films. We loved our martial arts movies. Um, of course. We Asian. Of we course. Love yeah, we, we, lo- we love our martial arts films. <laughs> and uh, so, and my dad especially was always really keen on describing certain things. If he saw a particularly impressive technique or move, he would always tell me what he just, or, you know, he would always want to tell me, hey, wow, this is amazing. This guy just did this to that guy and that, you know. Um, so he would always show me techniques or you know not not techniques but he would always show me things that he was seeing on the screen which i thought was really cool That's because, really cool I, because a lot of people never had that kind of really attentive and descriptive uh, well, member in their family he's he's also in the mil- he was also in the military um and i don't think he you know it, it's not something that he would do voluntarily again if i asked him it was just something that he did you know out of incidental convenience because it was there and he was you know it was happening right so like i don't think he would do it again if i asked him to sit down and watch a movie with me and describe it um that's a shame it doesn't go it doesn't go that far but you know when i was younger li- just little things well, like you, you would you see were something then you were well, a lot cuter then yeah, pro- probably <laughs> you didn't even know me back then you know for all you know i could be nicer now than i was before but um <laughs> so you know and little things and so that kind of started i guess um but, and I remember, but I remember as I grew, and I also liked weapons. Um, I, I, get the, I get the sense I'm talking to my mini me whenever I talk to you. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, and in another 10 years, we'll probably on this, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be similar still. Yeah, well, um, one, one day you will replace me. Oh, we, we don't know about that. We'll see. But um, it was interesting also, too, because, and I think. I think one of the reasons I liked weapons so much, and I still do, is as a blind person, our tactile sense is much more captivated, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, because we can't see things. And so, you know, the, the way visual people look at art, um, I look at when I see sculptures, when I look at uh, moldings, when I look at models, whatever, but especially weapons, because a f- I'm not, and I'm not talking about for, for for you listeners. I'm not talking about a cheap factory machine-made, mass-produced knife that you can get, um, or sword even, but like a truly decent, handcrafted 
uh, so traditional that's weapon. Something that's made to be used. Yeah, not not even made to be used. Like there might be some that are just made to be decorated, but they're made as artwork. Um, you know, it's not cutlery. You know, is is the is the term that I hear used a lot. You know, it's not like you're kind of tip. You know, it's not like your stainless steel Japanese sword that just kind of it isn't really good for much, and as soon as you swing it, it kind of rattles yeah, around yeah. and it shakes. Yeah, we, we call them sword-like you know, objects. Yeah, um, you know, but but Japanese swords that are made as artwork, uh, that are made to be on display and to be touched and to be examined. Like those weapons, I really I found I had a fascination with them ever since I was a kid. Um, just because I love feeling different designs, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether it was a sword or a staff or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I, I'd always had the thing for weapons when I was younger and that kind of grew on me. And then as I got older, I would always think about these things that I found in martial arts when my dad was talking to me or showing things to me or teaching to me. And it was interesting because like, if you think about martial arts, there's a lot of movements that we do as martial artists that your average blind person wouldn't ever think of. Well, never my average blind person. Your average person wouldn't think of. Yeah, yeah, that that too. But especially because when you can see, movement a is a lot easier to. Yeah. yeah, you movement is a lot easier to understand. A lot. Yeah, same with uh, facial expression. Right. Um, angles. Um, the way you move to you know, interact with something else is a lot easier to kind of get a basic hold of when um, you're sighted. Whereas if you're blind, it's not as easy because we don't we don't have a visual reference. So when you learn, like when I first learned to uh, step, when I first learned in Aikido that stepping in diagonally towards my opponent and I, I could slip a punch that way, that blew my mind. Because for me growing up, you know, if someone punches at you, what do you do? You, you block you it, block. right? Because obviously that's, you know, I, it never occurred to me that all I would, I just had to step in a certain direction and it would just go by and I wouldn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. I was like, wow, I never, like, if I'd never been taught, if I hadn't done Aikido, I would have never thought about moving this particular way. Yeah, that, that's uh, sort of like my first introductory into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because being a striker all my life there are so many things that there's so many configurations uh, grapplers can get into yeah. and I was yeah. like but oh, because you're blind move. I didn't know that the body can move that <laughs> yeah exactly but because you're blind and you never seen how people move no, uh, because you, you know, don't that, that's a good point because a lot of sighted yeah. people they seem to pick up these basic arm bar and stuff like that because they see on TV all the time well, they see it on TV, but not just that, but they also have a better sense of movement mm-hmm. and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like it's like a it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Like if you see one that's completely assembled, you can kind of get it. And if someone just breaks it apart, you can kind of go, OK, well, I kind of have a sense of how everything kind of fits together. Mm-hmm. But if you're blind and if you're handed a box of jigsaw puzzle pieces, when you, you go, have no idea what goes where. where and it's the same with martial arts is when you when you can see movement there's certain things that when they move they go oh, okay that's okay that makes a lot of sense but when you can't there's there's something about you know even even a even like a like a hook punch like blind people don't imagine hooks a lot one because we don't see the body ever moving in a way like that you know visually mm-hmm. and two because if you've never done a martial art well you've never you don't even know what a hook is right 
you you may think you know what a hook is. Yeah. I, I have heard a lot of people. I ask them when they come to the class, and I ask them, "Do you know how to do a hook?" And they say, "Yeah." yeah. And they do something totally weird. Yeah, exactly. But that's 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 the nature of it when you're blind, right? Like I always thought I knew what an uppercut looked like, um, just because you know I always thought it was just a, you know it's just a punch going upwards, mm-hmm. you know. But until I started doing them, um, you know, there, there was just little facets that I didn't know about, or like. Even in Aikido, like or Krav Maga, like a lot of the joint locks that you know you, that we do, um, you would never think of bending someone's arm or joint to that produce way. that kind of effect. Even yeah, because you don't see the way a joint bends, mm-hmm. a, a joint bends, mm-hmm. so you don't know that it can actually move in that way. Um, so that got me into martial arts kind of as a kid and as a teenager because I was really I was always really fascinated by it. that's kind of why I really wanted to start doing it what was your first martial art well that's a bit of a long story because I I always wanted to do kendo um, like I said I liked weapons and the concept of sword fighting was amazing like I loved it I still do actually um, and you know it, like like one of my friends said last week um, in what other sport do you get to s- hit each other with sticks and yell at each other and well, have it be okay? You, you want to pick up Filipino martial art? <laughs> yeah, but even in Filipino martial arts, like you're not nearly as loud as you are in kendo. No, no, but it hurts oh. just as much. Of course it does. But I'm saying that, you know, there's no other sports when you can yell at somebody while attacking them and have it be okay. <laughs> That was just fun, and you know, I you know, I I'm I'm loud. I like to talk a lot. I like to scream a lot, and it's just I don't know. It was just a fun idea. It was just a fun idea, um, and you know, if you learn sword fighting, well, hey, you, you know, you have it made, right? Uh, yeah. Um, but I actually, that was the first time I had that experience, like with one of those things, like what we were talking about earlier about paying for martial arts. When I went to the dojo and asked about it, um, they said, well, we've never really trained somebody like you but I guess we could do it um, I never actually started because they just didn't sound enthusiastic enough uh. um, And but this was one of those situations where paying wouldn't have done a thing no it's not as acceptable a system of bribery here as in our own country <laughs> and, and it, it's funny because that, that, that bribery system would only work it, I, I'm sorry to say it would only work in a Chinese society. Well, I mean, for those of you who've never been to China or Taiwan, in Taiwan, if you get stopped by a traffic cop, you can just hand over 500 bucks and he, you know, he just forget about it. Yeah, you know, if you get a speeding ticket, you know, it's, oh, sorry, you know, can I, can I see your license? Well, here's $50 instead. Okay, yeah. never mind, keep going, you know. Yeah, don't do it again. <laughs> Whereas, whereas in, in Japan and here, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, you, you try to get some money, they take you off to jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that was what happened at Kendo, and I kind of gave up on it. Um, so I, I started looking into, well, I like swords, and I want to do something with swords. What can I do with swords? Well, Iaido was the next thing that came out. And for uh, you listeners who don't know what it is, Iaido is a form of... Um, meditative swordsmanship i always i always think of it as i think of it as yoga or tai chi with a weapon very similar uh, yes yeah. and it it focuses on it's all about forms and routines and it's very slow very pretty to look at uh but a little boring 
Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I did it. I did that for about a year. I found a dojo that was willing to take me, um, and I did it for about a year. And then I got bored, and I said, "Oh man, I can't like I can't just sit here and not move for ten minutes." You know, like I had, I had to do something. Yeah, I have that problem too. And yeah, and 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 as fun as sword work, and I, I love, I love, I love swordsmanship. I loved Eido. It was cool. Um, and I still love sword forms to this day, even in Aikido. I love, I love our sword work. But it just, I couldn't be that quiet for that long. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm 25. Maybe I could do it now compared to when I was 19. But uh, I guess you were just never cut off to be a ninja. Maybe, maybe, but yeah. even ninja don't just stay still for an hour. Maybe they, they, they have had to. Huh? You, you hear, you hear stories that they have to la- lay underwater for hours. Those, for those, those were the, those were the samurai, and that's a little <laughs> different. Um, but you know, I just I wanted to do something that was more vigorous and that felt more like exercise. Have, um, you, have you ever tried uh, approach the uh, uh, Western martial art, the, the sword schools for Western martial art? Well, I went to Academy Duelo yeah. here in Vancouver, yeah. uh, and I was told that fencing was the only option that they saw me realistically being able to do. Uh, well, which... it, it would be the, the one option that you get get hurt the least. That, that's, yeah. that, that part is true. <laughs> that's, pro- that's, pro- that's probably what they meant. Um, but I wasn't interested in fencing. I wanted to do something that was more active and more... more... Active? Well, fencing is actually quite active. <laughs> Yeah, but I wanted to do something that was more out of the norm, I guess. Don't don't, because... want, to, don't want to offend any fencers out there, but I, yes. I I always say fencing is a bit like needlework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get poked in the right spot. Yeah, it's it, it just um, it, it, it like plays hu- human pool. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's a little bit frustrating when you're blind. So and so and, and that was the and for anybody who's listening right now, uh, a lot of them are wondering, well, why didn't you do judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu? And I was at a point in life, and I still, I'm, I'm still here. Is I wanted to. This has always been a thing of mine. I've always wanted to try things that other blind people hadn't done before. You, you want to buck the trend? Yeah. Um, not, not just because I want to buck the trend, but just because I feel like people. I feel like somebody has to be, you know brave or foolish enough to try things and to jump in with both feet uh you know and i'm the only one who's you know stubborn enough and not smart enough to do it so you know like i I don't think before i do things like this um a lot of times i'll say oh an activity sounds cool okay i'm gonna go try it you know i'm not one of those people who stands there and goes well can i do it uh how am i gonna do it you know that kind of thing. I don't, I don't debate that kind of stuff. So, uh, I guess I'd call myself foolhardy, but impulsive. Yeah, I'm very, very impulsive in that area. Um, and so I didn't want to do judo because, well, every blind per, you know, every blind person and their mother who does martial arts is doing judo. <laughs> yeah, because that's always the first advice they get. That was the first recommendation we get. Not, not, and again, not to, not to offend judoka because judo, I think, is really cool. I think it's, you know, and I think th- there's a lot to be said for judo, especially if you get really good at it. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to. F- I, I'm judo. actually quite thankful for the little bit of judo training I had because, yeah. if nothing else, it actually helped me be a better striker. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but, you know, little things like that. And I, so I said, well, I want to try something that's a little bit more unusual. Um, and I thought, well, so I, I looked, I kept looking, and I ran across this martial art called Aikido. And I said, what's this? I've never heard of this before. And I looked at it, and I thought, that's a really cool concept. But how, how can you never heard of Aikido and Steven Seagal before? Well, I've never heard of Steven Seagal before, so that was why. Um, yeah, like, seriously, you never well, heard we, of we, 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 won't, we won't get into that because I could talk about <laughs> Steven Seagal for a long time. Um, you know, I, I, I said the idea of blending with your attacker instead of blocking and I, I call this being unpredictable and tricky as opposed to, you know, if you do a striking art, typically it's really they're linear, they're straight um, you know, it's not that, that's usually patterns yeah, nothing is really surprising whereas Aikido is all about surprise um, it's all about doing something that your opponent doesn't expect you to do um, and then when they get knocked off balance, then you screw them up even more, and you know, it just kind of goes from there, so I, I found this idea, and I said, wow, that's... I've never thought of martial arts like that. That would be... I, I would try that. Um, and again, I went to a dojo to watch a class, um, and was told, nah, we've never really taught blind people before, and there's a lot of throwing and a lot of rolling, so it's probably not a good idea. It's like, what, what does that have to do with being blind in the first place? Well, um... It's a liability issue, because... What, blind person break easier than sighted person? No, blind person might break other sighted people. Now, if that, they roll... that, that might be true. Now, <laughs> that now might see, be true. There, there is truth to that, but the problem that I would say to any other blind person or any other martial arts instructor who might happen to hear this is you can't say that based off an assumption. Because they're... Uh, Blind people who are very careful and know what they're doing, just as there because, are sighted people who are not careful and will yeah, hurt and, others. And now, now in my dojo, it's a joke. Like sometimes I fall into into people less than the people who can see. Um, you know, like I've gone through classes where I haven't hit anybody, and my sighted senpai has rolled into like three people because they weren't looking behind them. <laughs> so, you know, like little things like that. Um, and so I said. Well, okay. So I kind of gave up on it for a while. Um, because I emailed two or three other schools and I got really similar responses. So I said, well, okay, whatever. Um, you know, you, you, would, you would probably remember this because that was when we started talking. Mm -hmm. And then two years, and that kind of lasted. And I kind of, I emailed people for different schools and didn't get responses back until two years ago when I decided to do martial arts again. It was um, around the time I decided that I wanted to also give Krav Maga a try because Johnny had recommended it to me for forever. Um, and I said, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to get into this martial arts thing again. And I thought, well, Aikido was the last one I was fixated on, so why not look for that one again? So I found the dojo, and I, um, I emailed them. And I didn't get a response for a week. And I thought, oh boy, here's another one. I just, uh, and then I got a week, I got a response a week later and they said, hey, sorry for the reply. I forgot to check the, I forgot to check the dojo email. Um, 
So I was like, okay, Great organization. <laughs> you, you know what? It, it was we we do ch- we check dojo emails and we send them out once a week routinely. I didn't know it was once a week, so it just happened that I had emailed after they checked it, so they didn't get back to me until the week afterward. But you know that was funny. So I thought I thought it was a boss, and they emailed me and said, well, you know what? The truth is, we've never actually taught any blind people before. Um, it'll be a new experience. But if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to work with us, then yeah, we're, you know, we're willing to try and see if it will if it'll work out or not. Um, and if and if you're anybody, if if you're at all like me, you'll know how happy you feel when you hear something like that. Uh, from finally, a Marshall. finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Finally, so um, I went, and then I don't know. Yeah, I've been there ever since, and. Krav Maga, I also started around that time, and unfortunately, because of timing and money, that hasn't worked out as well, but... And now you're also the uh, first disciple of the Night Strike program, of course. That's great. And, uh, you know, we are always in- encouraging more blind people locally here in Canada to look us up and uh, come out, have some fun. It's not a... You know, we are, we are not starting a new... Uh, Blindies martial arts system. It's just uh, Night Strike is more the name of the club that we all get together and learn from each other and have a lot of fun. Yep, for sure. So, what does how does your family uh, treat your uh, relationship with martial art? That uh, they pretty much don't acknowledge it. It's not they don't hate it. It's just they don't think it's anything to talk about, so it's not really brought up very often. So they don't think it's exceptional or anything at all. No, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say particularly exceptional. Uh, it's kind of a thing that they've just always said. Well, I mean, my my dad's always told me to do it because the blind guy should do something to defend himself. Um, that's about as far as it went. I don't know if he still feels that way or not, but. Um, they don't really find anything good or bad to say about martial arts. So basically, they just say that's Clement. And, yeah, yeah and pretty much. So have you ever actually have to defend yourself? Well, not necessarily defend myself, but I have had to warn somebody off with a wrist lock uh, one time when they tried to commandeer or let's say borrow my wallet. Uh, at a train station one time. That, that's a very interesting story. Let's hear it. Well, I was... It's interesting. It actually, it's actually also kind of funny. Um, I was walking home after work, and I was coming up on a stadium Chinatown station, uh, the tr- or my train stop, and I was going to... I was getting my fare out, and uh, some lady who walked by decided... Uh, the, the station is located in an area where you get all sorts of uh, unsavory in, in, interesting interesting people uh, not necessarily always unsavory just interesting and you never know whether they're going to be savory or not savory uh, <laughs> this what, time what, was she savory? no she wasn't oh. uh, and the reason why is because she decided that because my wallet was open it was high time to come and grab a bill Ooh. uh and obviously, because I was blind, I couldn't see her coming. Uh, I didn't know that she was 
you know, coming to take something out of my wallet. Um, or if she was coming to take my wallet. I don't really know which. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the fact is that she tried. And it was one of those things where I, I wasn't even really aware of what I was doing, but the way her hand came in, uh, it came in exactly the right way that I was hoping for it to. Or not, not hoping, but it came in the right way for me to apply a wrist lock that's pretty harmless um especially if you don't do it hard but it hurts enough to make them realize that you know what they're doing um did she say anything to you she didn't say anything and i didn't say anything i did the wrist lock she obviously felt it i let go and i went through the gate and she walked away uh you know that that was about as far as it went how, how i didn't do you know anything. how do you know it was a she Oh, because she she did actually she did say something to me. She said hi. Uh, that was that's cool. She said hi and I've tried to fill to your wallet. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> wow. At least, at least she's played about it. So... <laughs> Excuse me, I just need to borrow your wallet. <laughs> yeah. And not give it back. Um. Uh. It's funny. Is my 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 teacher is always saying that when we do that that particular wrist lock. Is one that in Japanese culture is looks kind of polite because uh, the body motion that you do it looks like a bow. Mm -hmm. So the 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 joke in our dojo is when you do the wrist lock and it hurts uh, when you bow, you bend the wrist and you say good morning. <laughs> so. That that's actually not a bad self defense tip, you know, because. Yeah. You never, uh, in a self-defense, even in a self-defense <clears throat> situation, you never want to look like you're the aggressor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that was that was that. But the funny part came about a minute later when I'd walked down the stairs onto the platform, and some SkyTrain attendant came up to me and said, "Excuse me, sir, I'm with SkyTrain. Do you need help today?" And I said, "Well, I would have if you'd been there about 30 seconds before." I didn't say that to him, but that's what I thought. Uh, so that was, I'd say that was the the one story that I that I would have to tell about Aikido. But so I think that is a good story because it's at the first at the same time you show people that you know trouble can come out of nowhere. She's come out, say yep. hi, and to try to take your wallet. Yeah, and that there are people out there that will. Uh, Try to take advantage of a disabled person. Yeah, for sure. And and trouble isn't always, you know, e and even in self-defense, like trouble isn't always the big scary guy who knows how to fight and who has a knife. No. Right. Um. You know. You you know that because we we talk about that in class too, Johnny. Is you know that we that's kind of the image that we give all the time. Um. You know. You always assume the worst because you always assume your opponent knows how to fight, but. 98% of the time, it probably isn't like that. I think it's just a lot safer to assume they know how to fight. Yeah, it is. Just in case, just in case. Yeah, but but what I'm saying, yeah, and we should, you should always assume and be careful. But what I'm saying is that most of the time, it's not like that. Well, if we want to be absolutely honest about it, most of the time, you probably wouldn't have to defend yourself for your whole life. Yeah, realistically. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we actually live in a very civilized time, d despite of what they show you on the news. Especially, especially here in the West. Yes. Um, in North America, but you know, 
thing, things happen. You know, sometimes you'll every now and then you'll get a drunk person who wants to come talk to you, or you know, some lady who might want to borrow cash off you and not ask first. You know, <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, I think statistically, uh, the kind like you know, uh, for you to actually need to fight for your life, the the chance is so much lower than if you get run over by a car in the street. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, most of the times, all you have to do is look at them or scream or whatever, and it's over. Um, oh, obviously, know. that that's uh, more true for us male. Of course. Yeah. No, but uh, ladies, it, still, but, please be careful out there. Yes, be careful, please. I mean, and, and even and even guys, you know, yeah. there's, you know, but but what we're saying is that most of the time, it won't end up a street fight isn't as common as media and society likes to make us think it is. Well, I always think that term is funny when people talk about street fight because technically that the true street fight, like you, it would only happen to you for the most part if you are in that kind of profession. Yeah. Like if you are a policeman, if you are a security guard or a bouncer, uh, yep. Then you're going to definitely run into that kind of stuff, but yep. for the day-to-day regular Joe, like you, it, it's quite possible you just go through your whole life without getting into a street fight. Yep, probably. So, um, before we go, uh, there's so much more about you that we haven't talked about. You want to quickly run, give us a rundown on your music and your gobo. First, tell people what Gobo is. <laughs> I don't want to explain that. <laughs> so, so goalball is a uh, it's a Paralympic sport uh, for the blind and visually impaired. It's actually the I don't know if you knew this or not. It's actually the first and only Paralympic sport that was originally designed for blind people. Makes sense. Um, everything else has been adapted. So judo, all the athletics, wrestling, swimming, uh, cycling. Uh, dragon boating, all of that stuff. That's all been ag- adapted from existing sports. Goalball is the only sport that was originally designed for people who are blind. So the way it's played, it's uh, it's played on an indoor court, and it's a volleyball-sized kind of court, so 9 meters by 18. Uh, 9 wide, 18 long. And the ball feels kind of like a basketball. It's a little heavier. A little, a little heavier. bit it's... bigger than a basketball. Like... Yeah, a little bit bigger and yeah. a little heavier. Yeah, imagine, imagine a cross between a bowling ball and a basketball. Yep, uh, it's 1.25 kilograms, uh, and we it's good thing that Johnny said bowling because the way you throw the ball actually is it's underhanded. It's very similar to a bowling motion, but not quite. Um, and you throw the ball across the court at the other team, and each team is composed of three players, a left winger, a center player, and a right winger. And so all the players take turns throwing the ball at each other, and uh, unlike dodgeball, you are supposed to get in front of the ball and stop it. And uh, it hurts and, a lot. And you do this by diving on the ground, onto your side, on like a side dive. Uh, and you take the ball wherever it takes you. Actually, it's really funny, uh, going back to martial arts for a really quick second here, is that I remember when I joined Krav Maga for the first time, and uh, the, do, you, do you remember the first time I... The, actually, well, the only, the only time. The first time I did a shark tank exercise? <laughs> yes. Um, and Alan and some of the other instructors, or not, not other instructors, some of the other students were, you, man, you're not afraid of taking a punch, but you've only been doing this for a couple months. Like, most people, uh, you know, who do that kind of martial art are scared. 
I'm getting hit, right? Yeah, most um, people that haven't been conditioned to take punches, that they are, they cringe, uh, even yeah. before they get hit. Yeah, um, and you know, they hear it and they're going, man, you've only been doing this for two, three months, like, how are you not afraid of getting hit? And then I told them about the sport, and they understood, and then I showed them a video, and it was like, oh, okay, well, you've already been conditioned, you already get hit by hard things on a regular basis, <laughs> so. That's true. Um. So there you go. That's one of those examples of uh, things that can transfer over. Because yeah, uh, that that goal ball hurts a lot more than the punches that I normally take. Uh, normally take. Normally. Yeah. Except when Johnny's feeling in a bad mood and I need to be his punching bag. Um, that never happened, by the way. Well. You sure about that? Well, I don't. I don't think I ever got in a bad mood when I was hitting you. <laughs> well, there, 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 there was, there was Bowen. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, moving off that. So that's the sport that I play. Um, I play for the BC Provincial team. Um, and we play probably about two, three tournaments a year uh, all over different places. So that's goalball. Um, music? I play electric and acoustic guitar, uh, a bit of drums, and I also... I'm a vocalist. I've been singing since I was six um, through karaoke... Uh, choir and other things like that so right now I play pretty much anywhere I'm asked to uh, mostly at church gigs uh, because friends will invite me to play at their events and um, we are outside of that season where you're you, know, you will be very active with the church that's right because right Christmas yeah yep and uh, so not just church like everywhere that does Christmas will that I have friends at will usually want me to go sing or join the group there or whatever so uh, things like that happen, and that's music. And right I now, um, your like, uh, what what's your work right now? Like, so right now, I'm an ESL teacher. Um, I teach English at a at an agency for Japanese international students, uh, and I also do some reception and media work for them, like blogging and stuff like that. Cool. Um, yeah. So so. Before we go, do you have anything you want to plug, like your any personal website or church, your church, or maybe give uh, give people a, a contact for your dojo or stuff like that? Um, not particularly, but I will say I do think that um, if if you are interested, especially because we've been talking martial arts pretty much the whole time, uh, if you are interested, and if you are in Canada. Uh, you know, we give give Night Strike a look um, on Facebook um, or email Johnny directly, um, and we will see what we can do for you. Um, we we typically try and do workshops with local people, but if you're willing to take the time to fly in, um, or even better, if you can come with the group, that's also a great opportunity to just kind of introduce everybody to martial arts, and um, you know, an another great way for people in the blind community meet up and connect together so uh i would recommend looking that up uh yeah, if, you want, that, if you do want to fly if you want to fly in or come by bus and uh i'm sure uh someone in the night strike program can put you up and i host you while you're here so help with hotel costs and stuff like that yep. we're, we're always and we're always looking for new people so it's where you are isn't the problem uh we just can't 
help chip in for any long trips. So, because we're currently uh, also struggling. I want you to uh, pay for us to come out to do it in your area. That, <laughs> we that, works, as, that, that works as well. We, 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 we have guns and we will travel. Yeah. And so, you know, right now, Night Strike composes pretty much Johnny and myself uh, as the instructors, and then some other people that drop by for cl- workshops and whenever we yeah, do them. About 10 people together, so. I think. Yeah. I, I, like to, I so, wanted to say 100, but I don't think they believe me. Yeah, so that's that's my, that's my plug. Um, other than that, and I, I guess <laughs> most people at the end of these interviews tend to ask me for something that I like to say. Uh, I don't have any inspirational quotes. But I will say that um, it's never bad to be rejected once because, and it's always a bad idea to give up after the first rejection because you never know when you will find uh, that club or not, and not just martial arts, any sort of event group or community or club or church that will accept you and make full use of what you have to offer. Um, especially if you're blind, visually impaired, or disabled. So, um, keep trying, and always be daring to do new things, because you never know when you'll find something that you really like. That's a really, really good advice. Like, um, one of my own instructor once said, all it takes is one yes, you know, to yep. overshadow that's, that's, that thousands of no's. <laughs> that's where it starts. So, um, thank you for coming to the interview today no thanks for having me uh, hopefully we'll have you on again hopefully for sure yeah and i will see you at the next uh, nice drug gathering okay a well-endowed and very attractive young blonde goes to the pet shop to look for some exotic pet upon Noticing a tank full of frog, she reads the sign which says, Sex Frogs. Guaranteed and money back if does not meet with your satisfaction. Looking around herself, she makes sure that there's no one observing her. She leans over to the man behind the counter and said, I will take one frog, please. The man carefully packages up the frog and tell her, just make sure you read the instructions when you get home. Upon reaching home and locking the door behind her, she very excitedly took out the instruction and started reading it. Following the instruction to the tea, she first took a shower, then splashed on some very nice smelling perfume before getting into her most sexy uh, looking teddy. The last line of the instruction said, just place the frog in position and enjoy. So crawling to bed, she put the frog in position and nothing happened. Still nothing happened. Confused, she read the instructions over again and notice a small line of text at the bottom. If there's any issue, please call the pet shop. So she snatched up her phone and called the pet shop. The same man who sold her the frog earlier answered the phone. And she said, look, uh, I, I bought the sex frog earlier. 
and I follow the instruction to the T, but it's not doing anything, it's just sitting there. And the man said, oh, oh my god, I'm so sorry, we had some complaints, similar complaints earlier, I will be right over in five minutes. In five minutes, the man knocked on her door. Opening the door, she led the man to the bedroom and showed him the frog. See? See? I, I took a shower. I, I, I put out this beautiful teddy. And, and see here, here is that where I put the frog. Said, Look, he's just sitting there, not doing anything. Concerned, the man grabbed up the frog, held it close to his face, and said to it very angrily, Look, I'm only going to show you how to do this one more time. Oh. <laughs> it would appear that I'm in the wrong profession. I should become a frog trainer or something. Training sex frogs. Mm, not a bad idea. Speak of training, if you are a struggling uh, martial artist with visual impairment, or if you know a uh, martial artist uh, with visual impairment, or if you are visually impaired yourself and just always wanted to uh, try your hand at martial art. Why not contact Night Strike Self Defense? You can find us on Facebook or just Google Night Strike Self Defense and uh, you will find us very easily. Uh, there you will meet a lot of uh, martial artists who are blind or visually impaired, uh, people of the same mind, people with various experiences, and you can collaborate and uh, uh, troubleshoot and brainstorm and just generally have a good time. Who knows, you may even find it in yourself to come out to one of our all-day uh, self-defense seminars. We look forward to have you. And with that, we come to the end of episode 12. Remember, if you want to ask me a question, have comments about the podcast, uh, or want to get sponsorship information, email to johnnytiger at shaw.ca. That's johnnytiger at s-h-a-w dot c-a. You can also find me on YouTube as johnnytai or johnnytiger. I'm also on Facebook and Reddit, or you can uh, Google johnnytai uh, in quotation mark with addition keywords such as self-defense and or martial art and you will find me easily. Thank you for being here with us. Don't forget to rate and review and that will make us very very happy. I will see you guys in episode 13.
wrote about us Only yesterday I got another phone call Then we talk about those good old days Somewhere in the past When we were still here we promised to keep in touch But then we had a love and friendship And no dreams and games we play We have faith in one another and care And now oh, I have used this guitar And a song that everyone likes but if I were to tell the truth, it's our worst song. Still remember watching the soccer game Drinking beers and smoking stolen cigarettes Kevin and Rocky, they were always fighting But no one took serious offense When I played in the band You were always there to sing along I can tell you again The sentiment from the heart I trail this to have you Tell the truth, it's our song.